Welcome to Indy Star's Pacing the Pacers podcast with Pacers insider James Boyd. I'm Indy Star Pacers editor Nat Newell, here to host. Uh, James, obvious place to start is with uh, the Athletics' recent report on the Pacers being ready to break up their core. You've obviously confirmed and talked to some other folks about that. Uh, just give us a quick overview on what you've, your thoughts on where the Pacers are in terms of that. So I know this won't make the fans very happy, but I do not believe that the Pacers are in full-blown, everything-must-go, rebuild, you know, sale mode. Um, I would characterize their actions, at least what they're kind of putting out there, as a retool, a revamp. Do I agree with that necessarily? Probably not, considering where the team is, but that's where they're at. Um, I think that's par for the course where the franchise has been the last few years. They haven't really, like blown it all up and, and going all in with just being bad and trying to get a high pick or something like that. So we'll see where it goes. But at this point, I think the team is at a crossroads to figure out, do you really want to keep this core together? And specifically, do you want to keep Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis together going forward? Which has been the question for years, but um, according to another athletic report that came out this morning, um, you know, Miles is sounding like he's a little fed up with his role in Indiana and, and wants more. So do you give him more here or do you get rid of him and, and, and get, you know, see what you can get in return? So there's a lot of things that are on the horizon. Personally, I don't think this team is going to look like it looks now at the end of the season. The Turner stuff is interesting. I've always been a proponent. If I have to deal Sabonis or Turner, I would deal Sabonis. Mm-hmm. I just think Turner can play on any team in the NBA, make it better. He's a he can block shots. He's, the, I mean, the best shot blocker in the NBA. Mm-hmm. He can shoot threes. He's been a little up and down in terms of how effective he's been at shooting threes, but mm-hmm. he can still shoot threes. Mm-hmm. Someone who can do those two roles, you know, is valuable. Can play on any team. But the reason he's valuable is because he doesn't need the ball. If all of a sudden he thinks he needs the ball, that might change my opinion. Um, I just don't see him as a. I mean, can he be an All Star who? blocks three and a half shots a game shoots threes at 35 percent or better um i think he needs to rebound better get at least nine rebounds a game he's usually been around seven but i think that's an all-star an average 15 points a game that's all reasonable but if he thinks he needs to average 20 a game that's probably a problem yeah i mean just reading the story and talking to miles and seeing the way he he's used he's not being used badly i mean he's again like you said he elevates any team in the nba um I think because of that, there's probably there might be more suitors involved with him than Sabonis because of just fit wise. I saying I think Sabonis is a better player, but again, like like you said, I mean, he's in his seventh season in the NBA. Granted, he's only 25, but how much more of a jump do, can he really make? Um, I know he thinks he can make it, like any player should think, but from the outside looking in, I don't see Miles Turner becoming something he hasn't been for seven years in the league and frankly speaking this is the NBA like if you're capable of doing the things that he wants to do I believe that by now someone would have kind of put the ball in his hands more and said hey go do it um one key aspect to that in my opinion is he's 6'11 but he's not that great of a post scorer um how many times do you see teams throw at him in a low block and it's an effective player you know, or or he can, you know, take his guy one-on-one. Even in the story, he wants to go one-on-one more, put the ball on the floor more. And it's like, how many guys 6'11 in the NBA are really doing that? You know what I mean? So, it, to me, the guys who are usually really good, bigger guys are consistent post scores. I'm not saying that you throw it into the block every single time, but 
hey, that's that's how you get buckets in this league if you're a big guy. And, and I don't know if he has like a polish in a post game to do that. Um, but again, I kind of like that he's uh, voicing his opinions because Miles is not one to hold anything back. So that's refreshing from a media standpoint. But it also, you know, makes me wonder how those things turn over in the locker room when you got guys like, you know, Malcolm Brogdon saying we want to win with this group and, 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 and everything they're saying on the outside, we want to win with this group. And it's like if one of those guys is not happy with this group, then does that push even more to, like, push things forward? Yeah, I mean, I think the big question, and obviously it's real easy to talk about trades. Mm-hmm. It's real hard to talk intelligently about trades without knowing – what you can get, what's exactly. on the table. Yeah. Um, but to me, and, and to me, it comes down to what, who can you get more for, Sabonis or Turner? Um, I mean, I, Sabonis is an, uh, is an all-star. I mean, he's mm-hmm. the, the last guy on the all-star team, but the last guy on the all-star <laughs> team is still an all-star. There you go. Averaging 20 points, 10 rebounds a game. I guess my, and, and he averaged six assists. I mean, again, it's not like you can't play through him. It's mm-hmm. not like he's a one-dimensional player, anything along those lines. Um, but I do wonder how many teams, if he's the, the third option on a team, can you win a title with him as your third option? You might be able to because, like I say, he's willing to pass and rebound. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of a sudden he's scoring 15 a game instead of 20 or 22. And then what's that worth in the trade market? I mean, to me that's the big question is what the, what the other teams think of Sabonis. I agree with that. And I've been on the record saying he's their best player. Um, but again, does best player mean best fit? Does that mean you want to build around this guy for the future? And frankly speaking, in the NBA, nine times out of ten, if you want to win a championship in like the modern NBA, you need a wing guy who can kind of get you there and, and be a star. You look at even the Pacers the last time they were, you know, able to get past the first round, it's because they had Paul George, who's who's a top tier wing player. Um, and those are the guys that usually put you over the top, save for, like, Steph Curry. You know, I've been on the record saying this to my friends and family. It's like, outside of Steph Curry, I don't think there's another guard in the league that can be your best player and you win a championship. And then also on top of that, when you're looking at Sabonis, it's like, he's a really good player. You're probably a playoff team if all you guys are healthy and you're running your offense through him. But, again, like, first round and you're out. You, you're not going too much further with this group. I get that Rick Carlisle did not come here for a rebuild. Um, which is why I think that they're probably going to retool it instead of stripping it to like the bare bones. I mean, this is a guy who's been coaching for 20 plus years and has a Hall of Fame resume. I don't think he's signing up at this stage of his career to to do a, a full blown rebuild. But to to say that um, you know, this team has enough to win, or we want to win with this team, define win. What do you mean by win? Do you mean win enough games to get to the playoffs? Win enough games to have an exciting play in game? Um, and I know there's been talk about fan apathy and. I mean, with the, with the way the TV stuff is kind of messed up and even just looking around the stands, like, it is very empty in Gamers Fieldhouse unless a star is coming to town. So, I mean, if you, I, I'm not opposed to them stripping it down, but it's like it's either that or you're going to continue what you've been always been, which is first-round exit at your highest potential. Yeah, I mean, I ran some numbers. You look at the – they've obviously got five – Really good players. Mm-hmm. Sabonis, Turner, uh, TJ Warren, who had obviously been hurt, uh, Brogdon, and then it was Oladipo for a few games, mm-hmm. but then obviously he was traded for Levert. Mm-hmm. When they've got four of those guys in the lineup, 
their lineups barely. I mean, that that group is barely over five hundred. Yep. I think they. I, I don't. I didn't include last night's game, but they were on pace for forty three wins. At first, I was going to say, well, things did not work out great with Bjorkman last year. This is mm-hmm. only looking at the last two years. You know, let's maybe that maybe that's not meaningful. But mm-hmm. at eleven and sixteen today with Rick Carlisle as your coach, I think you got to look at the point that. I mean, okay, they've been hit by injuries, and that's a problem, and maybe that's something that goes away, maybe it doesn't. But even when they're healthy, they're not, they've been a 500 team. And to me, that's the biggest problem is I, can you win with this group? And I'm not sure you can the way they, you know, based on what, forget what you think, based on what we've seen, I don't know that you can. Exactly. And granted, you know, I'll have people telling me, well, they got, you know, they got robbed in two games because of the missed calls on Chris Duarte. But they also have had a lot of games where you were close. And again, in close games in the NBA, you need a dude. Yeah, they don't have many dudes because if you look at the NBA and anybody who's a fan of the game, just even a casual watcher, when it gets down to like the last two minutes, there's not much offense being run. You're not going to get a bunch of like really great looks running your offense. They usually go four flat, four guys on the baseline, one guy up top. You either tend to pick and roll, or he's going one on one for a basket. It's really that simple. Does it like do the Pacers have a guy who can consistently do that at a high rate to win you games and close games out? No, they do not. You look at the Bulls, they have two of those guys. They have yeah. a Zach Levine and they have a DeMar DeRozan who have been like just stone cold in the fourth quarter and you look and you look at the Pacers, it's like sometimes they're ice cold in the fourth quarter <laughs> and they can't score. So, um, it's a tough situation to be in because they've been right there and a few bounces here or there, you know, they could be 500 or a couple games above 500 but I mean shoulda woulda coulda doesn't matter you're, you're you're five games under 500 and uh, you know everyone keeps saying there's there's more games left hey this is more than a quarter way through the season and I personally it's like you know a test or anything in life once you get a quarter way through something that's pretty much who you are or what you're gonna be so I don't really you know you can't say well if one was healthy it, I mean even now we could talk about it more but like you got COVID issues popping up around the league. You've got injuries. So, like, there's no guarantees that things are going to magically get better. You're going to be healthy for the rest of the season. I mean, yeah. these are real issues that are still plaguing the team. If your strategy is to have all five of these guys healthy at the same time, that's not strategy. That's hope at this point, given, yeah, I mean, given that uh, how injury-prone they've been, mm-hmm. and that's not a great approach. Um, I'm a numbers guy. Every number will tell you that they are – what are they, a one and eight in games decided by mm-hmm. four points or less, something along those lines. Over time, that's going to even out. Uh, good teams, you, it's easier to tell a good team by the record in blowouts than it is in close games. In mm-hmm. close games, luck, fluky things happen. Mm-hmm. It's not as meaningful as blowouts, and the Pacers' record in blowouts, 10 points or more, has been good. But like you say, at some point, especially in the close games, I really wonder if – they just don't have exactly what you said, a guy who can go get a basket when they need it because it's happens again, it's it's nine games. I'm not you know, nine games does not determine they could win the next five close games and all of a sudden things but even if they were even on the close games, you're still talking about a five hundred team and that's you know, again, that's right back to where we were, which is a pro I mean, so and you touched on this. This has been t- I mean, you you're new to Indianapolis, uh the fact that the Pacers will not break everything down and, and start from scratch is always brought up. They think that they can't, with the fan base, they can't do it. They can't get the fans to come watch a team that is, you know, effectively mm-hmm. tanking. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, uh, just for the record, I have no issues with teams tanking. The rules are set up to reward that. If that's what the league's going to ask do, then you, it's okay to do it. Um, I don't think Indianapolis wants to sit through a Philadelphia 76ers style process where it's multiple years. 
but would they would they accept you know the team coming out and saying hey we're going for a high draft pick this year we want to build for the future I mean, number one, I think they would, and number two, they're not. They've got the worst, second to worst attendance or third to worst attendance in the league. The only team, you know, the teams that when you look at the attendance numbers that they're competing with are Detroit, uh, Oklahoma City, Houston. Houston's actually been on a run lately, but those are three teams that came into the year not trying to win. Exactly, the Pacers came in trying to win, and they're not drawing fans. Uh, it seems like it might be time to try that. Yeah, and, and I've touched on in one of my stories um, after the athletic story broke and I followed up to confirm some things and, you know, about internal meetings with the top four players on the team, Brogdon, Levert, Sabonis, and, and Turner. And, I mean, at this point, something's got to give. It would be better if you were, like I think Miles said, he appreciated them being kind of straightforward about the trade talks. But I think it would be a disservice to the team into the franchise um, and maybe the fan base. Like, I, sorry, fans, I don't put you as as high on, on the totem pole, <laughs> but to to run this thing back, knowing that in the end, at, at your peak, like I said, you're not gonna be. If they win a first round series, it would be a miracle. I'll, I'll put it like that. If they make the playoffs, I think that that would be sort of a miracle. Seriously, because not to bust anyone's bubble or something like that, but they beat the Knicks last night. Great win, but at the same time, next on the second night of a back-to-back, you're well rested. You're supposed to win that game. I mean, you, you did it, but it's you're I, at I, home. I don't yep. I, I don't think that this is like some you know really good like barometer to say like things have changed and that they're gonna go on a run now. I mean, you got Luca and the Mavericks coming in and he's playing his old coach, and I'm, I'm sure he's gonna have something to say about you know wanting to beat Carlisle and, and that whole you know thing. So there's you know there, there's parts of the season where the Indiana Pacers look really, really, really good. And there's other parts where I ripped them in the column a week ago where they just don't look like they're really playing hard or looking like they're together or engaged for a full 48 minutes. And when you couple that with not having a star, when you, when you can't coast off talent, it's really hard. So, I mean, I, th- I think they've given away a few games just from not playing up to their, their caliber or their, or their effort stand, standard. I mean, for Two or three weeks, I mean, Carlisle would come to the press conference and say, like, effort and force, you know, after every single game. So that was a thing for a while. And now the trade talks have come in, and they look like they were kind of rallied, you know, around each other last night. But how long does that really last when you realize that the writing's kind of on the wall and these guys you're rallying with might not be your teammates going forward? That was another question, obvious question here. They beat Utah in Utah. They wiped out the Bulls in Chicago, mm-hmm. and in both situations, you're thinking. I mean, they uh, especially after the Bulls game had come after that stretch where they weren't playing well. Mm-hmm. And Carlisle didn't call anyone out, but it wasn't hard to read between the lines that mm-hmm. he wasn't happy with players. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, okay, maybe they put it together, you know. And then last night, another nice win. But from what you just said, you don't think this team is putting it to. And again, I don't. Could they play a little bit better? Yes, but but is this team going to ever get to a 45 win pace uh, for I mean, are they capable of that in your opinion? I don't really think so. I think there's just too much inconsistency throughout the season. And I mean, you can get healthy, you can try to go on a run, you can rally together, but I personally don't see that happening. Mainly because you look at some of the teams that got to play, like these teams aren't going to lay down for you. You're not playing, you know, Detroit every night. Even though you lost to Detroit earlier this year, you're not, you're not playing these teams every single night. So it's like, you're either going to knock off some, some good teams and, and really get rolling here, or 
you know, it, it, this could be one of those seasons where you look back and, and, and if you don't make a move, you wish you had. So, I mean, like I said, you got Luka coming up. Then you got Steph Curry, who's on this whole three-point breakage, uh, you know, uh, run right now. And he could break it against the Pacers. Who knows? And then you got, you know, Milwaukee with Giannis. So, like, these are not just gimme games. These are some of the better teams in the league. I mean, granted, the Mavericks have been struggling. But, again, they have a dude on their team. So, usually when you go into a game with a dude, you feel pretty confident about your, your know, chances to win if you have that guy on your team. So, we'll see. I know – if this gets out there and people read it, they might think that I'm taking shots. I'm just looking at the team as it is. No superstar means that you're bound to be pretty mediocre. And that's been the theme among this team. And I think that if you want to try to change that in any way, it's got to be something done with this roster and this team. Uh, Levert's the other one who's been mentioned. Um, you know, I, I, when he first came back, it looked like he might have been a missing piece because he is a guy who can go mm-hmm. get a basket, but he has been inconsistent. Um, let's just touch on him real quick. Where are your thoughts on him and, and possibly dealing him? I mean, again, without knowing what's out there to get yeah. return for him, it's a little hard to say. But I don't. It's it's weird to gauge it because I think that teams that are looking at Lavert have to look at the potential of him being like fully healthy. He's not been fully healthy all year. I think that he's still kind of rounding into form. Um, and, you know, the last few games, he's actually, like, sat down in a defensive stance. He was saying, like, how difficult that's been to come back from a back injury, just, like, literally, like, being in a, in a defensive stance for a full possession. He's been able to do that more. Um, but, again, I don't think he's fully healthy. And I'm not seeing the same level of explosiveness off the dribble, ability to get past guys, if you've seen in the past. So, if anyone were to deal for him, it's like, are you okay with getting him as he is? Or are you trading for him? you know, with the idea that he's going to be better than he's been this season and going to be healthier. Um, I think that if a team is interested, they're probably going to do something that's sort of low risk on their end and could, you know, be a high reward. Um, Granted, the Pacers have to sign off on these things, but I don't think they're going to be able to yield very much for him just because he's really struggled this season, Um, being in and out of the lineup. I think he's only shooting about 41, 42% from the field, um, about 33%, I believe, from three or lower. So it's not like he's shooting these great numbers, but there have been moments where I'm like, okay, that's a Karras play. Like that's, that's, that's where he looks like himself. So um, it's hard to gauge, but again, you kind of have to gamble a little bit on him more than you have to do with Sabonis and Turner. And, the Pacers' great teams of recent vintage, um, I mean, they were – well, I, uh, the, the Paul George, David West teams were – they got – I mean, they, I mean, I say lucky. Obviously, they, were, they scouted George and they mm-hmm. liked him, but he fell in further in the draft than obviously he was as mm-hmm. a player. That's a credit to the Pacers for taking him when they did. Um, but they also – they traded for Roy Hibbert. People don't remember just how good Roy Hibbert he was, was before was. the game changed, and he wasn't very uh, wasn't suited for the game anymore. Averaged twenty and ten against the Heat in that first Eastern Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. Took him to seven games because of Roy Hibbert, but they traded for Hibbert. Uh, West was a rare free agent signing. Um, Lance Stevenson was a good draft pick. Um, <laughs> Make so him dance, Lance. Late, late the, <laughs> but he was a late round draft pick. So again, that's another important thing. I mean, I tweeted yesterday the last. Um, right now, the or before last night's game, I believe the Pacers had the seventh pick. Um, the only the, the pick seventh or above in or better in Pacers history were Rick Smith's and obviously obvious success. Mm-hmm. Steve Stepanovich, who was fine but got hurt and was never really amounted to anything. Wayman Tisdale was a decent player. 
um, but a better musician um, <laughs> later in his life. Uh, you had George McLeod, who was the last single-digit pick the Colt, the Pacers uh, have had, um, who did not pan out at all. I mean, Rick Roby, they took instead of Larry Bird. That's a whole other Pacers era <laughs> that we can go into if uh, anyone wants to. It's been those types. So, oh, and, and Chuck Person was the other one. To me, you look at that list, Smith's was an unqualified success. Person, I think they deserve credit for. They took him when they were not any good at all. Mm-hmm. Reggie Miller and Chuck Person dragged the team into the playoffs, and mm-hmm. that sort of reset things. I don't want to diminish what Chuck Person meant to this. Um, I grew up in that era. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know anything about Chuck Person, <laughs> but uh, but he was a fun player to watch, and and he, he was not gonna. You weren't gonna win a championship necessarily with him, but he got them into the playoffs. So to me, that's two out of uh, whatever it was seven players that made an impact picking that high. So that's a problem. You look at what I mean. Donnie Walsh built up the the 2000 era, mm-hmm. the, the group before that, and the group after, making a bunch of trades. Yeah, um, I mean, they traded for Jermaine O'Neal. They traded for Stephen Jackson. They stayed traded for Ron Artest, who was uh, there last night. Formerly Ron Artest, you know, yeah. he's he's and, meta now, you know. And before that, they traded for Mark Jackson twice, which was mm-hmm. I mean, you look at what they got for Mark Jackson and what they gave away, and it was just brilliant moves by Donnie Walsh. They traded for Jalen Rose. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, again and again, and th- that's and they made. And they got you know they got Reggie in the draft. Obviously, they got uh, um, uh, Travis Best in the draft. People like that. Um, they did a uh, Antonio Davis was a late round pick. Mm-hmm. Dale Davis was a higher round pick. But but they did a lot of stuff with trades. Um, I mean, I guess where do you come down on that? Is this a team? Do they need to make trades and try to go that route? Do you want to see them try to do it through the draft? We know it's not happening. Free agency. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're handicapped in that sense, and it's just a reality of this league and, and being a small market team I mean just frankly speaking per, from a personal standpoint James Boyd do you want to live in Indiana or do you want to live in Miami I mean that's that's just that's an easy choice for most people and if you're rich people say tax away if you're rich it doesn't matter and you, you like nice weather so they're not ever in my opinion gonna get a huge free agent um and and, and honestly I do think it has to come through the draft now I don't think they're ever going to be willing to tank it I don't really like agree with tanking i mean i get it to a certain extent but you got to look at how it really is when you're in it like for example detroit tanked to get Cade cunningham they got the number one pick right now but they're you know really really they're not winning many games so they're really looking at this thing from a long-term perspective but um so i think their biggest bet would be to trade and try to see who they can get um but at the same time i think in those trades they should be going after some young pieces and some draft picks, in my opinion, because you're not going to get a superstar back. You don't have a guy who you can dangle out there and say, he's a star. I want a star back for him. I mean, I know DeMontis Bonus has been a two-time all-star, but he's not a star on the level of, you know, just household names or, or, or people that you, you know, think off, off the top of your head. He's a guy. He's a dude. Um, I think to the – honestly, to like the casual – NBA fan, they probably wouldn't know who Sabonis is or, or how good he is. So I think that they do need to make some trades, but seriously look at picking up some draft picks and trying to get younger and, and draft some guys and swing for the fences and see if you can get a guy who could be your franchise player. And obviously you can't get a Reggie Miller every single draft, but although, you know, I got fans telling me that Chris Duarte you know, could be next after this game last night where he was like 9 for 11, but um, we'll see. But I do think that, you know, again, Chris Duarte, pretty high draft pick so if you want to go go that route you have to get some assets back in return and not in my opinion go out here and try to get some third fourth tier 
aging star to push you into the playoffs for, again, an eventual first-round exit. Yeah, the issue there is if you're trading these guys, you're trading them to teams that want to win, and those teams are probably not returning exactly. you high draft picks. Which is why I'm glad I'm not the GM. Yeah. So Kevin, <laughs> yeah, Kevin Pritchard. And, Pritchard's and, done it. I mean, you yeah. know, look, you can't excuse the – you know, overlook whatever the right word is. They haven't won a first-round playoff series since Paul George. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Paul George is sort of the example of what I – mean, they traded him for Oladipo and Sabonis. You got two all-stars yeah. for him. It's harder to do better than that when you're yeah. trading someone like yeah. Paul George. Sabonis is not Paul George, so you're not going to get the same return. So, and, and that didn't – you know, again, I hate saying it didn't work because they took LeBron James to seven games. Could have easily won that series. I, you know, again, we could argue whether LeBron was ever going to let Cleveland lose. I, if you want to say that, I'm not going to necessarily disagree with you. But it was that close. I oh, mean, it, it was. It, it I was mean, that close. So could it have happened? Sure, it could have happened. It would have been because they had Oladipo and, uh, to a lesser extent at that point, Sabonis. So, um, but that's, that's where it at. I mean, that's where they're at. And it is a really challenging situation for Kevin Pritchard. Yeah, and when you look at some of these small market teams that bring up LeBron James, and I've said this for, I'll say this at the end of time, Cleveland is very lucky that he was born in Ohio, because if he, you know, he if he becomes a free agent, he's not from Ohio, and they trash him. He's not coming back. He's he's gone forever. Right. He comes back, helps that franchise win a championship, and and you know is able to you know obviously they had drafted Kyrie, they were able to trade for Kevin Love. This only happens because you have LeBron James there, and then even with Milwaukee, you get lucky and Giannis. I mean, if you re- redo that draft, Giannis is number one pick. I think he was he like was, fifteen he was or something 15, like that. Yeah. You know, and it was and more who had of a, the number one pick that year. Who I actually don't Cleveland. know. Cleveland. They would have had Giannis and LeBron <laughs> in Cleveland. Imagine that. There was no one thought Giannis was the number one pick. Exactly. And then but. he pans out to be one of these already Pantheon great players. Um, he could retire today and be a Hall of Famer with his resume, which is insane to think about because he's only 27 years old. So, again, you can, I believe that you have to value the draft a little bit more moving forward just because – if you look at these small market teams, that's – I mean, you're, you're always trying to get lucky. Even Golden State that's, to a certain extent. Like, they weren't Golden State when Steph Curry got drafted there. Right. And he dropped in the draft, you know, a little bit. And he has ankle injuries to start out to his career. Now he's like a superstar. So, like, you want to try to – you know, I don't say you want to just tank every single year and just hope that one of these years you get a good player. But you do want to at least look at the possibility of trying to build through the draft and get a guy who you know coming out – is a guy and could potentially be a guy you build your friends around. It's got to be. It's frustrating. It's got to be frustrating to be a small market NBA fan. Uh, Bucks are an obvious ex- uh, exception to that, but mm-hmm. because it does come down to luck. I mean, yeah. it just does. And then I mean, look how many things that had to break, literally, in their favor for them to have a, a path to go to the finals and win it. I'm not taking anything away from the Bucks. Giannis was amazing. A 50 point closeout game is probably one of the greatest performances I've ever seen in my young life yeah. in the finals, but. So many things had to like go perfectly for them to even have a shot at a championship. It's kind of similar to how Toronto won it with Kawhi and all the injuries to Golden State. Like if Kevin Durant doesn't get hurt, they're cruising to another championship. So again, you kind of want to have a chance to get a guy, and then some things go your way. And right now, if you just choose to be this middle of the pack, hard nosed blue collar, like you know, I get the whole Indiana we're Hoosiers, we work hard, we don't give up, we don't give in, all that. Hey, you might want to just wave the white flag a little bit. That way you can, you know, you know, wave another flag or, or, or raise a trophy or something in the future. 
Um, well, let's you, you briefly mentioned the COVID situation. The Pacers canceled practice out of everyone's favorite phrase, an abundance of caution yep. today because of uh, uh, the, the health and safety protocols, which obviously means um, there was – I assume there was some kind of positive test for COVID. Uh, Justin Holiday's been out with it. Um, mm-hmm. What do you know? We got a story posted right now at IndyStars.com, but tell us a little bit about what you were able to find out this morning. Yeah, I've reached out. I haven't heard back, um, you know, to my sources or about what this particular situation is about as opposed to, you know, is it someone who tested positive? Is it a player? Is it a coach? I have no idea. But I did ask about Justin Holiday yesterday, which I thought was kind of fitting considering that this came out today and this was pure luck. I just was getting curious because if he was – put into quarantine not quarantine into like the isolation covid protocols for the nba on november 30th so if you're counting if that counts as like one day in isolation then his 10th day would have been today this thursday and that means he could have been eligible to play tomorrow against the mavericks granted that he doesn't have any like lingering effects of of, of the virus I'm, I'm you know i had a source tell me that he did test positive he's asymptomatic or whatever um but obviously with today's news, it kind of, in my opinion, kind of puts into question who are we going to see out there tomorrow? You know, I got to check the injury report literally every day, to, every hour today. They post them every hour just to kind of see, like, what's going on and, and if there's, you know, another player that's going to be out. But um, this is a thing that has not only affected Indiana, it's affected the NBA to a certain extent. I mean, you had LeBron who was, who had the, I believe it was like a false positive or something, and he was, he missed the game and then came back and he had the two negative tests and, um, even the Bulls are really dealing with it right now. They got four players, you know, who are dealing with it. And they had a fifth player, uh, you know, Vucevic, who was out previously with it. And their entire team has been fully vaccinated. So they're, they're not um, like the Pacers who were like 95%, meaning that one or two players isn't vaccinated. And then on top of that, um, you know, you got LaMelo Balls out with, with Charlotte. They got four guys in quarantine. So, like, I mean, there's there's a lot going on with the NBA, and I do believe that, one, it's because they ramped up their testing after Thanksgiving, which was smart. You know, you're around a lot of friends and family, and they'll probably keep it that way throughout Christmas and the holidays and New Year's, which is smart. But two, like, COVID is still a thing, and the new variants are obviously, I don't want to say working because that's kind of a bad way to, like, say, like, a virus, but, like, a virus, they're doing virus things, you know. <laughs> they're more contagious. Exactly. So, I mean, the fact that John Morant is fully vaccinated, has his booster shot, and, you know, was, was about to come back from his, you know, left knee sprain, and then he finds out, oh, I'm, I got to go to COVID protocols because, you know, he may have, may have tested positive. They never say, like, if they if they have or whatever. But assuming that he has to stay in quarantine and he's not able to come back right away, you can, you know, read the tea leaves there. So, uh, I don't know. It, it's, it's really tough. And, again, that's another factor for the Pacers. I mean, do you if you have Justin Holiday for a few of these games um, that you lost last week, do you win him if he's in the line? I'm not saying he's, like, some guy who moves the needle like a whole lot, but he was playing pretty good basketball when he got sidelined, and obviously he had to hit this streak where he just played in 250 straight games. So that's another factor that, to me, kind of guarantees that you're not ever going to really see this team be fully healthy and available for the rest of the season because I don't think that's going to be a thing for the entire NBA. I mean, you got guys, again, who've been vaccinated and boosted, and they're still testing positive. The good thing about that is basketball aside, you get it. You're healthy. You're not going to go to the hospital. You're not you're most likely not going to, you know, have any like really lingering effects or, you know, death or whatever. But from a basketball standpoint, I think that we could see a lot of teams have hiccups um, going forward with this because it's just omnipresent. 
Yeah, I mean, we at the beginning of the season, Rick Carlisle said that uh, 90 to 95% of the team was vaccinated. There's 20 players on the team. Uh, we can do the math. That means one or two players were not. If we assume Justin Holiday was one of the players who was not, that means there might be one other player. Mm-hmm. So, I, so from a long-term, someone has COVID on the team issue, I don't think that's like a real thing to be for people to be concerned about necessarily mm-hmm. in terms of the product on the on the court i don't want to get into the the politics of covid or certainly or right. anything like that um uh, but and they're just being safe and maybe someone te- you can test positive after you've been vaccinated and as you say mm-hmm. it's it, general almost always the results of the illness are much much less so mm-hmm. but you know could this affect them for a day for a couple of games coming up here it certainly could it certainly yeah could. and i'm interested to see how it affects from a media standpoint like the access we get how close we can get because even now like this is my first season on an NBA beat, but it's not how NBA beats usually go. Like, you know, there's not any of that locker room just saddling up next to a guy and kind of chopping it up and, and, and you know, developing relationships. Everything's a, a lot more formal and rigid, and I get that. Like, even for, for example, just people who don't know, for, for uh, our credentials at, you know, Gambridge Fieldhouse, for – media or anybody who wants to go to the first floor which is event level which is the floor with the players and the game and the court you have to have a certain sticker on your your bat and they check it every single time and there i remember i got on the elevator once and there was a guy who was just going down there to change the garbage and he didn't have his pass with a sticker on it. they made him get off and, and get a sticker from one <laughs> and like you know say his name and get all his stuff in order before he could go down there with the players that's how serious they take this i mean you can't not wear a mask if you're court level you have to do a lot of things that are to keep these players safe and it just lets it reminds you of how strict these policies are and how rigid and formal these things are i mean again we're not going to the locker room to talk to players they're coming to the press conference room we're all pretty much six feet apart in that room and they go back into like the locker room we never see them again for that night so it's very unique to see how the things have kind of shifted from what people are telling me and i think that that's probably here to stay especially looking at the numbers going back up I would hope it's only here to stay in the short term. I mean, it's number one. I, I 100% understand why the NBA is doing what yeah. it's doing. I don't think anyone's criticizing the NBA mm-hmm. for cutting back on access, mm-hmm. and in fact, they've had more access this year than last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does hurt the the product that we produce. It doesn't give us the access that we mm-hmm. would like to have. It's harder to, like you said, you don't get to develop the relationships with the players, mm-hmm. and it makes the job a lot harder. And it makes the, what we some of the stories we do. We can't do some of the stories that we would normally do, um, which is exactly. unfortunate. I have to have a mask on the entire time. I mean, I'm a handsome guy, Nat, so I try <laughs> to like you know. I want people to see how good I look. No, I'm just joking. But it, I mean, it's, it's a thing. You got to wear your mask, um, which I have no problem doing. But it is a factor. And, and like I said, it's interesting to see how it goes. For example, just throw this out there. The Raptors, you know, Canada has said, like, anybody's unvaccinated, player, person, anybody, is not coming into their country starting January 15th. I imagine if you're a team, if, if the, you know, Toronto's kind of struggling right now, but if you get in a playing game with Toronto and it's in Toronto, or if you get in a playoff could, series with Toronto and it's in Toronto and you can't go if you're on, like, that changes things. So could, yeah, certainly, I'm very interested to see how it plays out going forward. But um, I think we're in this, at least for this season, in it for the long haul as far as COVID protocols, how it could affect the game. Um, I'm just hoping, fingers crossed, that this does not become a thing where, like I said, you have teams with four or five guys who have been affected where games have to be canceled or rescheduled. I'm not you know, trying to put fear in anybody, but I believe that the NBA probably is not like waiting to have these discussions. They're probably you know, having some contingency talks just in case this thing does become more of what we saw when things kind of shut down. Um, 
since this has been such a happy podcast, let's finish <laughs> up with obviously they played Pacers played great last yes, night. Yes. Um, we touched on this a little bit earlier. Do you think the mo- you know the fact that people might get traded does that provide motivation? Does this make them a little bit more? Uh, I mean, if it has been an issue of being a little less uh, sel- selfish, being more team oriented, do you think that we could see this team all of a sudden turn things around a little bit? Not entirely, but a little bit. I think so. Um, but again, like I said, I don't think they're going to go on some crazy run and win like ten games in a row and, and really start rolling and and be a completely different team than they've been all year, but. From a competitive standpoint, I think that from just being around athletes and covering athletes, anybody who like kind of just you know has a little common sense, I would think like you're a competitive person. So if someone says you're not good enough to win, or we don't think we want you around, not saying that the Pacers told them, but just like reading the like the, the rumors and, and, and listening to the, the noise outside, like if I'm in that locker room, I'm thinking like the hell with you, I, we're gonna win. So you know you know what I mean. So like if you want to rally around that and use that to kind of as motivation, I think that that's very valid reason because you're being called out on your personal ability and i think that anytime you call tell a professional athlete we're not good enough to win with you then it's fair for them to kind of use that as motivation so we'll see i think they are going to rally around i mean last night they they had the most fun they've had all year they were high five and chest bumping um you know making plays sharing the ball and you know you wonder like where was this like you know two weeks ago but again um that's basketball that's the nba they could come out tomorrow against the mavericks and have a fantastic game or they could come out and lay an egg so we'll see how they respond but i think that that response you know wednesday night was a direct response to just all the noise um you know rallying together but again how much do you really rally rally together if if these things really start heating up and you get to a point where you know a guy's gonna get moved because right now i feel like this is like just like a, a, a like a warm-up or, or or like you know you're just testing something out and trying to see like what's out there they haven't been like really substantial like reports or things out there saying like this guy for this guy. But if that starts to happen, then I think it's worth looking at how the team is as far as engagement togetherness. Because again, it's hard to be together if you're hearing you're going to be out the door, you know, at any moment. All right. Well, that is James Boyd, Indy Stars Pacers Insider. I'm Nat Newell. Go to IndyStar.com for more. Thank you for listening.